Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations, a ministry of Faith Covenant Church. We are so excited to have you today as we talk about all things related to the Kingdom of God. Hello again and welcome to Kingdom Conversations, a ministry of Faith Covenant Church. I'm so excited to bring back our guests from last week. So the last thing I heard Kevin say to us is, are we going to be able to come back? You didn't expect it to be this soon, did you? Yeah, we did mess it up that bad, James. So we're, well, I we're, think she couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on such short notice. Yeah. So see. they're going to start seeing you every week as we come. Right. <laughs> now, the reason we have um, Pastor Kevin and Pastor James back again is we are talking about this fascinating topic of gospel saturation and what it looks like in the world around us. If you missed episode one, please go back. That is such a great foundation um, of what we're talking about tonight. But I wanted to take it a little further. I wanted to talk about what is the definition of discipleship. I want to talk about six priorities of Christ, just bringing in some practical application to these things. So I'm going to start with Pastor Kevin. And would you talk with us about the definition of discipleship according to Scripture? Yeah, so one of the things that I think people confuse oftentimes is there are some people who are following Jesus, and then there are people who are disciples of Jesus. And there is a difference. We sometimes confuse, hey, I follow Jesus, but I'm like, do you? You know, kind of thing. You, we ask that question because a follower is more like committed. We talked about this recently in a sermon where this idea of going, hey, there's a negotiated set of terms where a follower could leave if the terms change. What a disciple says is, where else will I go? A disciple plays follow the leader. A disciple says, I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to say what you want me to say. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize whatever it is you prioritize, regardless of any terms. I'm in. It's to, I am totally surrendered to you. And so you can't have a disciple without there being um, a practice piece of it, a living out, a transformative um, lifestyle that follows, where a follower might just show up and consume, grow mm. in knowledge, mm. and sit and let something happen to them or happen at them. And that's very different than a disciple. You often say there's a difference between come and see and go and tell. That kind of plays into that. What does that look like? Absolutely. I think so many times what happens is when we have a come and see mentality, we are building a castle. We want to come, we get want to get more people into our churches, which uh, on some level isn't a bad thing, but what happens is it's come and see, and I'm not going to practice my faith out there. I'm going to get you into the front door, and then I'm going to let my pastor or pastors take over. I'm going to let the leaders take over, and then I'm done. I wipe my hands, and I'm going to go and grab someone else. Versus what does it look like for a disciple to own the lostness of their neighborhood wow. and them be Jesus, be the missionary, be the pastor of their neighborhood, of their workplace? And... Um, not always saying, oh, you want to hear the gospel? Well, come on Sunday, and my and my, my pastor will share that with you. No, no, share it with them right then. Yeah. Be Jesus right then for them. I shake my head because it's something I've learned being a part of Faith Covenant the past seven years, and we've talked about this. But I will tell you that the habit before that was you did bring people to church, and they did all the work. What I'm finding is when I have skin in the game, there's also a blessing that comes that we miss out on when we don't get to be a part of those conversations, those um, transitions that are taking place. 
Um, so James, what does it look like being a disciple here in your community? Yes, yeah, so one of the things I love that we do here at church is we look at Jesus's life and the way he lived, what we see recorded in the Gospels, and we see that he had six real priorities for the way he lived. And so those are the six priorities here for us at church that we hope that everyone will embrace and that this will be the model of how they live their lives. And so I'll just run through those real quick. Um, the first one is prayerful dependence, and that is the idea that we're praying and we're asking the Holy Spirit to show us yes. what to do. Lord, what yes. do I say to this person? Is this the person you want me to share? the gospel with, and um, someone pointed out to me once that Satan is never going to encourage you to share the gospel. So if you hear that voice in your head saying, hey, talk to this person about Jesus, it's not Satan. Yes. It's the Holy Spirit, and you need to obey. So prayerful dependence is a really important one. Atmosphere of love is that Mm. we see this a lot in 1 John, that as Christians we need to love one another, and so we should, as Christians, be known by our love. Centrality of God's Word, that's a vital one, that everything we do is based on God's Word. It's the final authority for what we do. We go there for the answers. It shows us how to live. We just obey what God's Word tells us to do. There's a biblical group image that helps us to understand who we are according to God's Word, intentional relationships. I think this is a really key one. We talked about this a little bit last week, that we have those relationships in the church and our small groups intentionally with people, but then beyond that, intentional relationships with people where we live, learn, work, and play. That it's not just like um, Kevin just said about inviting people to hear the gospel, but we're investing in people who do not know Jesus so that we can show them the love of Christ and Mm. then share the good news of the gospel with them. And the final thing is the right concept of Christ, which this is a key theme that we're seeing as we go through Matthew is who is Jesus? We've got to understand who he is, not Jesus on my terms, not Jesus as I want him to be, not Jesus in my image, but who is Jesus according to the Bible? We've got to understand exactly who he is. Yeah. Um, When you said, I love the differentiation between inviting and investing. Um, And then also the centrality of God's word. You may not be aware of this, Kevin, but one of the things for, so when I came to this church, I sat for almost a year asking the Lord, praying, is this where he wanted me? And so one Sunday, he, you were up on stage, and I remember you saying at the very end of your sermon, please don't um, believe what I'm telling you. Go check it out for yourself in God's word. And if I'm off, please come to me and tell me, because I want to align with God's word. That was the moment that I knew this was my church, because it's so easy to become feelings-based in this world. That's the way we are. I feel this way. Scripture tells me that my heart is deceitful above all things, but God's word will always make sure that it is aligning with his will, always. So I love that. What do you think about... um, Actually, I'm going to change that question. One of the things you recently talked about, and it plays into this, it was just last week, you were talking about the 12 disciples and how it wasn't that Jesus sat with 12 people all at once, but these were separate group conversations he often had. How does that play into this? Yeah, one of the, it's, it's, a, it's a unique concept in what he did in the sense of he grabbed a group of people and did life with them and lived with them. We, we touched on this in the last episode about it, he didn't meet with them uh, twice a month. Yeah, and, yes. and and that's how he did it. No, there was day to day living where they fished together and they they camped together and they walked and talked and sometimes they made you know the 
the disciples made mistakes together, and Jesus brought correction and exhortation to them. And it's interesting that he didn't do them all at the same time. Like we'll notice several places where Peter, James, and John were off away from those those guys. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration, or they were in other locations where it was just the three of them. And so. Um, while he invested in all of them, he certainly had unique conversations on the side with two of them wrestling with who's going to be greater and a mom stepping in, you know, and, and mom involved in that conversation and more. So it shows the, um, the humanness of yeah. those disciples and how they were still trying to get it too. It was revolutionary for them. So you kind of have your own little... Um, way that you're doing this as you invest in men's life. What are some of the things you're doing? I heard there's a lunch that you go to weekly. What does that look like? Yeah, so what happens is uh, I meet with a group of guys every week, uh, two different groups, and we meet at 6 a.m., and uh, we walk through God's Word together. And the unique thing about that, again, we talked about it in the last show, was the if we just met then it wouldn't be doing life together and so what happens is uh tuesdays at lunch oftentimes we'll get together for lunch and those guys are now inviting their co-workers to come and other men from the church are coming and they're bringing their co-workers there's nothing special about that lunch other than we're just together and laughing and we're helping be an encouragement where these people are owning their circle at their workplace or on Thursday evenings there's a group of us that are downtown hanging out together and we we're in the same location and so there's a couple workers there that we've we've invited to join us and they've talked about joining us when they're not working that time and sitting because they're very confused by us and we're laughing and having conversations about anything and everything sometimes deep and sometimes shallow but it's outside of that 6 a.m. time that we meet every week. When you say owning the lostness of your community, what does that mean? Chip lives across the street from me. Uh, Mariah lives over the back. We, we, we share a fence together. And I could go around my, my neighbors right there to go, who is responsible for reaching them? God put me in that neighborhood uh, for a reason. And there are people that don't know Jesus there are people that maybe are believers, but they're young in their faith that need to be encouraged and walked alongside. And I see myself as responsible for loving them well in the kingdom and connecting them to a church. Maybe not at my church, but to a church somewhere, a gospel-teaching, Bible-centered church. I love that example because I think we always think it has to be our church, but that goes back to that castle mindset, doesn't it? Yes, I do not need them in our church. We need them in a church because they might have friends or coworkers who have invited them to church and they've said no in the past, but now through a, maybe an interaction with me, sort of like in the passage, which we might talk about, I think we talked about last time with Apollos and Paul, someone else did that. Our conversation brought that back to life and they go to work the next day and say, listen, I think I will go to church with you. Yeah. And they go to another church and I'm okay with that. Yes. Yeah. So when we talk about um, castles and kingdoms, James, how does that play in small groups? What is, how does that work itself out? Yeah. The difference between a castle and a kingdom mentality is a castle is very much inward focused. It's about me. I'm building what people can see. I'm working on myself. I'm inward focused. Whereas the kingdom mentality is more outward focused. It's on something bigger than ourselves. Because if we were to go back to the medieval days, if I own a castle, I am part of a bigger kingdom. And that king may send me out on a mission. It's not my mission. I don't benefit from it. It costs me money. It costs me time. It costs me people to go out and expand his 
kingdom. And so the kingdom mentality is there's something bigger than myself that I'm living for, not the inward focus of just what's best for me. And so I think with small groups, it's easy to get that um, castle mentality that I'm here because I enjoy it, I love these people, I'm learning, I'm growing. Those are all good things, and we want to see that in our people. But again, that shouldn't be the end of the conversation. The kingdom mentality is saying there is more to life than just sitting in this living room with the same group of people forever. Yeah, There is more to life than this. There are people out there in the church that don't have this community. Yeah, And they can't come into my community because the living room's full. Yeah. It's seeing the people that aren't even in a church, that if they came to the church, they need a place of community. And so it's seeing that the kingdom mentality is that perhaps what I need to do for the kingdom of God for others is to branch out, start a new group, leave some of my friends that I've been with, and go out and start something new so that the kingdom grows, so that others have a place to come in. I can still do, like Kevin said, I can still get together for lunch and coffee and dinners and still see those people that I've grown close to. But it's having the mentality of saying, hey, beyond just what is good for me, I need to branch out and do something new, start something new, so that there's room for others to have this same community that I'm a part of. Absolutely. I think there's a piece that people are captivated by their groups and not captivated by the gospel. And I think there's a a big difference. And so what happens is when you are captivated by the gospel, you begin to be empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then you are compelled to begin to be mobilized and live a holy life. But what happens is churches believe that the end goal is just living a holy life. The reason I'm living a holy life is so that I can rightly represent him in the world. And so then leaders are then empowered to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. I mean, it's it's Ephesians chapter 4. And so then pastors are then freed from the oppressive weight of fulfilling God's mission on behalf of his people. But we are released then for the life-giving task of equipping God's people to live out the mission as living epistles of God's power and presence. That's the, that's the difference between being ca- captivated by a group and being captivated by the gospel. I love that that is, such a, that is the heart of what we're doing because let me ask you this question. I've heard this before. Um, somebody said, I've invested in my life group because I, I want to build relationships and I've invested this time and it feels so hard to multiply. So Kevin, talk to us for a minute about what does multiplication look like? Because when I've heard it from you, it's not scary. It's kind of exciting and it's beautiful, but I think there might be a wrong picture out there of what that looks like. So what does that look like? Well, what happens is, is when I'm captivated by my group, I need everybody there, and then we sit together, and, and we say things like, well, they know me. We've done life together. But what you oftentimes forget is there was a time that I was on an outsider, and a group took me in mm-hmm. and helped know me and invested in me. And then who are we now to look back and say, well, you know what? <laughs> we can't. No one else. And so what happens is churches oftentimes have people on the outside looking in through windows yeah. going, invest in me pour into me. And so what we're doing is going, how do we make space for different people to come in and join us? Because there's a difference between addition and multiplication. 
And that's the real difference. When you multiply in a group, you create space for lots of different people to come in and join your group. It, it gives me space to invite Chip, for me to invite Mariah into a group. But if my group is closed because, you know, we're too big, we're too mm -hmm. full, we can't have anybody else in here. My house only yeah. seats 10 people. And, and so, and I don't know them and I have to tell my story again. That is very inward focus. Yeah. That is all about collecting. That is all about maintaining. And that has nothing to do with gospel saturation. Okay, so this whole episode is about speaking into the practical. So let's say they multiply. How do they still get to connect with those people they're multiplying away from? What does that look like? What are things you've done? Well, I think what happens oftentimes in the early stages of a group when it multiplies is they still run some of their social things together. Mm -hmm. So the, the groups may get together and go, and our city axe throwing is a thing. And so they all go axe throwing, they all go bowling, or they, they get together, uh, they sit together at church. They do lots of different things uh, socially together, and they might even still serve. Some of them serve in the same ministries. So while we're not together for that 90 minutes of those two hours, uh, twice a month, let's say you're in a life group, all those other connecting points still exist. Yeah. And so I think we forget that, that we're not changing churches. We're, yeah. not, we're not getting out of their lives. It's not like we can't talk to their kids. Um, but it allows us to build relationships with some new people and help them uh, start this journey as well. Yeah. There was another word that's talked about a lot, and it's one of our four Ps, um, and it's called practice. And practice is changing my life. I'm in the process of really being intentional with that. How would you define practice? What does that look like, James? Well, I think the easiest way to define it would be obedience, mm. seeing what the Bible says and actually doing it. Um, yeah. It's easy to sit in a group. It's easy to sit in a pew or a chair and to learn and to have more knowledge of what the Bible says, but the practice, the obedience, is the difficult part because that requires change, and most of us don't like change very much. We're creatures of habits. We like our ruts. It's easy. It's comfortable. But that obedience of actually changing the way we're a husband or a wife or a parent or anything that we do, that's the hard part, but I think that's the key that we need to do is to just obey what God's telling us to do. That's so true. Nothing would make me sadder than um, I oversee our salt and light ministry here. And so one of my favorite things is we have like 160 people sitting at round tables in small groups of eight or less, and they're talking about the word of God. But if that's all we're doing is talking about God, we're missing the whole point of the gospel, which is to take what he's showing us, let him fill us up and then pour us out as a living sacrifice to our community around them, getting to love our neighbor to do different things. Um, how would you define practice and what does that practically look like in your life? Well, one of the things I love first is I like that the word is practice because it means I don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying some things. And so uh, practice is sometimes me keeping my mouth closed and sometimes practice is speaking up. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's stop and sometimes it's start. And so when it comes to what does it look like lived out, I, I strongly believe that if someone is in God's Word and are saturating their life with God's Word and they are, they are prayerfully dependent and they are all about um, 
praying for one another and seeking the so that, God, for mm. your glory. I want, I want this for your glory. And there's a sense of doing that in community where we can spur one another on. Then when I go to work, I don't work with the people in my group. I, I get to practice that yeah. which I've, I've looked at and I've seen modeled in Scripture. All of these things I see and I'm like, wow, um, let me pray for a coworker. Let me um, meet a need or stop and listen. Or um, I can give up my lunch break to help somebody else where we begin to live differently in those locations to model what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. So I'm going to turn that question around and ask each of you this question. Who's poured into you? Who has practiced and loved you well that were the foundational part of you really starting your walk with God? When you look back, who's somebody that has done that, and what did that look like, James? The biggest person for me was my dad. Um, he was my pastor growing up and was very faithful both at church and at home to teach the gospel. He was always a phone call away, my encourager. My um, He's definitely been the number one person in my life that is poured into me and then I think secondly would be the um the children's pastor when I grew up uh, David Ernst he was um just a really good guy that loved the kids faithfully taught the word and just really gave me that solid foundation of knowing God's word knowing what it meant to be a Christian that has carried me through as I got older you know what I love about your testimony of, about your dad specifically is that is our first line of discipleship or when God gives us kids is that we only have them for a short time. And so your dad poured into you. And then also I love your children's pastor because they were intentional and look how it's impacted your life to want to grow up and now be in ministry. How about you, Kevin? It was a little different for me. I think I was loved well by some people, which is different than discipling somebody. Okay. Uh, and so I had a youth pastor that loved me well mm -hmm. and uh, modeled some things for me very, very well. But I don't know that anybody along the way, especially early on, intentionally poured into me and tried to connect with me and had a real thought about how they were going to connect. I had some other people who took me under their wing for a season and when my father died to really, what does that look like to, to step in and, and be mm -hmm. a fatherly role? But again, I don't know that they were helping me walk through God's word to grow my prayer life, to help me understand some things. It was much later in life, actually, um, I was already a pastor at that point, really struggling with if this is really all there was, if this is what church was supposed to be about, and I wasn't sure that I was going to be all in. Yeah. I wasn't sure that this, it's got to be more than this. And it was actually the founding pastor of this church when I mm -hmm. reached out to him and said, can I meet with you? I've got questions. I've got thoughts. I don't know um, who I can talk to. And he said, absolutely. And so I would drive an hour, oftentimes one way, to sit and just ask and let him pour into me and, and challenge me and talk to me about how am I doing here in the in the practice of caring for my family. But then also, are you in God's word devotionally, Kevin? My next question is, so we're talking about practical ways that we can live this out. We're talking about the gospel saturation, looking at our community all around us. But it starts with us sitting at the feet of Jesus ourselves every single day. Um, what would you say about that? Absolutely. I think you can't minister out of an empty cup. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sense of going, what does it look like? As as Because what I totally and deeply believe is when I saturate myself with God's word, it is astounding to me how my conversations throughout the day go back to what I just read in his word. Yes. I mean, it's just, yes. 
It's just shocking. And so then it's not my words, it's his words. And they don't look and they go, wow, Kevin said this or Kevin. No, I, God was preparing me to be to speak what he wanted spoken into someone's life. And so then he does get the glory. I, I tell them it's from God's word and I can show you where that is. The Holy Spirit just brought to mind a picture of Rick Roby, who is a dear friend, and um, he just lost his wife. And one of the things that most um, spoke to me watching him walk through that was how he continued at the worst moment of his life. He and his family loved well the nurses, and they were witnessing to the nurses that that's loving your community. That's gospel saturation through that process. It's taking whatever season we're in and using that as an opportunity that he knew he would never have those opportunities mm-hmm. again, and now we get to watch that play out. So he might have been sowing, and somebody else might reap, or he might get to reap. You just never know what that looks like. Yeah, it totally happened in the group of guys that I meet with. Um, his car was broken. He saw his neighbor was working on his car. He went over and said, can I help you work on your car? They worked together on their car. Next thing you know, they're back across the street. They worked on each other's cars together. After that, they said, let's have a cookout and celebrate with our families. After that, through several uh, times where their families got together for cookouts, they said, well, we noticed there's a Bible when we were at your house. We've talked about reading our Bible. Could you help us with that? And they're like, what? And so now they're meeting with them across the mm-hmm. street. Then another neighbor is going back north because we have a lot of snowbirds here. That family threw a barbecue for that gentleman who's going back home mm-hmm. and invited the neighbors. And so if the church had, pr- they wouldn't come to a program. That had nothing to do with our church. It had somebody who was saturating themselves with God's word, look for an opportunity, listen to the Holy Spirit, follow that. And God did the amazing because he was faithful and obedient. Yeah. As you were sharing that, the Lord brought to mind something that I just shared with both of you earlier uh, tonight, and that was we were talking about how people sow into our lives and how they miss the reaping of that. And I had a teacher, her name was Mrs. Evangelista, Sharon Evangelista. I hope she hears this podcast because I've (laughs) always wanted her to hear this story. But I was so lost. I did not know the Lord. My parents had put me in private school um, because I was getting in so much trouble. And so, of course, I got caught smoking and got uh, suspended and was put (laughs) in this pink room where I had to sit for almost uh, six or seven hours a day. And this teacher would faithfully for that five days take her lunch and go sit with me in this room and just love me well and talk about God. And that so impacted my life. That literally happened probably two years before I gave my life to the Lord. But I remember her all these years later, and I wonder how she's impacting. I, it was in Clearwater, Florida, so I hope she's out there and she's able to take this gift God has given her because she didn't see who I was. She knew who I could be with Christ, and I want to have eyes that are able to see beyond bad um, behavior because I was that person. And I think that's how the Lord views us. You know, other people are going, whoo, she's trouble. And God is like, just wait, just wait, because what I can do in her, right? That's reaching out to the community around us. So we are approaching the end of this episode tonight, and I love doing a wrap-up. How would you like to wrap up our time tonight to close out this picture we're painting of loving the people God puts in our life naturally around us? 
I'd say for me, one of the things we talked about in the last episode, but it is a core value for me, is I really believe it's important for a believer to be in community, for them to be a part of their local Sunday morning worship services where they are declaring the goodness and the greatness of God. Uh, they are singing praises about what God has done all week as they've practiced. But then they're also in a smaller group where... Um, they are known and they are loved and they are loving other people. They're encouraging, they're growing, they're asking questions, and it's in a smaller environment because I think it's birthed out of there. Yes. I think in those moments, you begin to reach out and say, listen, I, I'm not going to be busy. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to prioritize some things. I'm going to live and walk as Jesus walked. And that's what I'm more interested in. I don't need people here six nights a week. Um, yeah. I want them in their neighborhoods and at ball fields at, during those times, just loving people well in the kingdom. Oh, I just love that. And I need to be reminded because sometimes busyness, it's that subtle thing that creeps in and it steals what's most important. James, how would you like to wrap up tonight? Yeah, I would just encourage our listeners to take a next step of obedience, whatever mm -hmm. that is for you. Perhaps you're one of those that reads the Bible a couple times a year. Pick up your Bible and read it daily. And it seems like a big book and it takes a while, but it's only three and a quarter chapters a day will get you through in a year. That's about 85 verses. A slow wow. reading, it's 12 minutes a day. Wow, it those are not, some great statistics. It's not that difficult. Yeah. So if that's you, pick up a Bible Start reading. Start in Genesis. Start in John. Just start reading your Bible daily. If you're not a part of a group, if you're just a pew sitter, maybe your next step is um, getting connected to a group, finding some people that you can be a part of being on God's mission with them. If you're not serving, step up and serve. If you don't know anyone that doesn't know Christ, if you're not being actively involved in reaching f people for his kingdom, make a list of people you know. Pick one and say, God, I want to reach this person for the kingdom. And can I can I be clear, too, as, as we're talking about this? It sounds like we're telling people maybe not to get involved in some sort of community activity or some sort of serving in the, in the city. That's the exact probably opposite of what we're saying. Yeah. We're trying to create space so that, that people can get involved in so those good. places yeah. and be Jesus there. So it's not, I just don't want to programmatically set it up so that, you can only serve in your church. No, right. get involved in those places and make a difference. If you know, be Jesus in regards to a housing crisis. Be Jesus in the mm -hmm. sense of feeding people. You are that's something different. That's a gospel saturation yes. in, in a public issue. Yeah, not the busyness of having the church on your calendar. Yes, the busyness of doing God's work in the community He brings to us. I often say when I feel like I have to work so hard, it never goes well. God brings people into my life, but busyness makes me miss it. And when I have margin, I'm able to pause. And the word, what is your word? The watchman and waiting. Share that with us. Yeah, there's a one of the things we've been wrestling with. We just the group I meet with, uh, we just finished up the Psalms, and one of the Psalms. Uh, the, the series of psalms there talked about waiting, and one of them is, it says, wait on the Lord, and it says, wait as the watchman waits in the morning. And then he actually repeats that line, uh, wait as the watchman waits in the morning. And you go, I don't wait well. I don't. And I, and I, and I want, because I want to listen, and I want to move when he tells me to move, and yeah. say when he tells me to speak. And actually, oftentimes, some of us need to be quiet yeah, uh, and not say some things. Uh, and because he has to go before us. 
Yeah. That so speaks to my heart because it's so easy to create busyness. It's so easy to create opportunities that are maybe my own voice and not God's voice, but that waiting, that pausing. Father God, I just thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I keep thinking of Psalm 91.4, where you tell us in the last part of that verse that your faithfulness is our shield. Thank you, Lord, that it's not our faithfulness. God, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of every person listening to this podcast that, God, you know what's going on in their life. Holy Spirit, would you just set yourself right upon them today? Would you fill them? Would you pour into them? Would you stand before them and behind them? And God, I pray that if there is somebody out there and they are hungry to know you, to know more about you, that God, you would meet that need with somebody in their community. Father, I pray if there's somebody who's listening tonight and they want to know how to read their Bible, that God, you would help them to come and get plugged in and walk with others in community as we learn and grow together. We're not looking for master teachers. We just want to know the master teacher. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this second episode of Kingdom Conversations, and we look forward to talking with you next week. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Conversations. We look forward to you joining us next week.